following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. As a society, it seems that we're um, obsessed with love. I was thinking about the movies about love, the books about love, and I even did a Google search on songs about love. It's amazing what you come up with. Uh, some of the top five I came up with this. Some of you will recognise these songs. How Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees. Silly Love Songs by Wings. All You Need Is Love, Beatles. Crazy Little Thing Called Love, Queen. I'll Never Fall In Love Again, Tom Jones. And the list goes on. I could spend the entire next hour and more talking about titles of love songs. But the reality is it seems that as a society that um, people are obsessed with love. You always read in, in, um, online and things like that about people falling in, in love and falling out of love. And it just seems to be, uh, be continual as far as that's concerned. And there are good things as well. And I know Karen and I had the opportunity to... Uh, to attend a marriage ceremony yesterday, it was great to be able to see two families coming together because of the love that a couple were experiencing and really being able to celebrate what love meant together in that wedding ceremony. And it was a real privilege to be part of that. But most of the love that tends to get talked about in the books and the songs and all those sorts of things, it tends to be around the emotion or the feeling of love. And although it's very true that love is an emotion and a feeling. When it comes to the scriptures and to the Bible, love is a whole lot more. The great um, British author and uh, theologian C.S. Lewis wrote a classic book, and it was called The Four Loves. And he described in this book, surprisingly, four different types of love. The first love he talked about was that one you see there called storge, it means that idea of, uh, of affection love. This is the love for somebody um, or something. Storge might be the sort of thing that you experience uh, within family members or people that you are familiar with in a number of ways. It's just that, that sort of sense of love that you might have for something. Uh, you know, you might love your dog, that sort of fairly low-key sort of idea there. Tough day today. Um, phileo is a friendship love. And it describes companionship where one or more discover they have something in common. Whether they have some common insight, some common interest, some common taste. And that friendship is strong and it's based upon those common links, those common connection points that they have together. Shared values, shared interests, shared activities. And that's that whole idea of phileo love. Then we come to eros love. That's that romantic love. That's the whole idea of um, being in love. This is the love that we see most often in the movies, in the books, in the songs. It's the one that is most often portrayed uh, in the media and all of those sorts of things. It's that whole idea of that romantic love. And again, that's an important part of love, but it's only one part of love. And finally, there's what's called as 
is agape love or divine love. And this is the love that is talked about almost exclusively in the Scriptures. And even though in the Bible it does talk about these other three types of love, the one that's referred to most commonly is this type of love. You see, this type of love is not natural, and it goes against natural desires. Agape love seeks to love what is unlovable, the undeserving and the ugly. Agape love gives all and asks for nothing in return. It is, by its very definition, the highest and the most unselfish of loves. It's not natural, and it goes against human nature. It loves things that are unlovable and unloving. It gives all and asks for nothing in return. And the significant part of agape love is that it's primarily a love of the will rather than of the emotions. And I'm not trying to say that that sense of love that involves feelings and emotion is not important, because it is important. But this type of love that involves our actions and our intent is important as well for us as Christians. So if I was to ask you, what is the passage in the Bible that talks most about love? And what is the, the passage that sort of explains what love is about? My hunch is that most of you would probably say 1 Corinthians 13, which is, is really one of the popular ones about love and what's involved in love. And really that's the Apostle Paul, that's probably his, his really his premium articulation of what love is and what's involved in love. And this passage on love is well known, um, and it's a very significant passage on love. But what I want to do today is look at a different passage on love. And I want to look at a passage on love that was written by the Apostle John. And he writes in a very short period of time, about half a dozen verses, and he looks at what is involved in love. And the reality is when John looks at love, his strategy is a bit different than that of Paul's. John is asking readers to reflect on their own lives and consider the fundamental application of the commandment to love one another. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And we will read verses uh, 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And the reality is in this particular passage here in 1 John 4, we see a connection between God and love and love and God. And it talks about the basis of the love that we have. And importantly, it shows out how that love works out in action. And one of the critical things that we need to see is that genuine godly love is going to be seen by other people. It's going to be seen in the things that we do 
and it's going to be seen in the way that we respond to other people. So firstly, it talks about the fact that God is love. The first couple of verses there talk about it, and buried in this section in verses 7 and 8, it makes a simple statement that says, God is love. Quite a profound little statement there that talks about God. It's, I think it's probably one of the profoundest and weightiest statements of, of all the scripture. Three words, God is love. The very essence of God is that he is love. God by his nature and his actions is love. And I think when we think about this passage, it's important to talk about what he does say, but also what he doesn't say. He's not just saying that God is loving, although that is true. He's not saying that one of the activities that God does is simply to love us, but he does do that anyway. But John is more saying the fact that God is love, that everything about God is love. The essence of his being is love. And that you cannot separate God from love, that God's essence is love. So in this passage, John has been careful to define the character of who God is. And because God is a God of love, this changes our relationship with him and how we live in relationship to him and also how we live in relationship to other people as well. God is love and love comes from God. Everyone that is a follower of Jesus will also love in the same way that God loves. A true understanding of the personhood of God should lead us to change how we live and how we behave with others. One of the biggest characteristics that people should see of us as Christians is what? It's our love for other people. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. We need to be loving other people. The theologian Wayne Gruden put it this way, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. Love that God has is about giving of himself to others. The love of God is seen in his self-giving love and in all the things that he has done. God's character means that he gives himself in every possible way. Love is from God. God is love. This love of God is seen, if you think about it, from the creation of the world. Jesus said, My glory which you have given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. So right from the beginning of creation, God's love was evident. This love was shown in the Godhead even before uh, humankind was created. There was that relationship within the Godhead where within the Trinity the Godhead, love was shown and love was demonstrated. Everywhere throughout scriptures, we see that love is shown and love is a characteristic of God. Jesus loves the Father. The Father loves the Son. John said, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. You see, love is what God is and love is seen within the Godhead. The theologian A.W. Tozer once stated, nothing God ever does or ever did or ever will be is separate from the love of God. Everything he has done has been out of love. So the reality is that the nature of God is love. So the first thing we need to understand when it comes to this agape love is that God is love. 
and that the essence of God is love. But what did that essence of God being love do? And that's what's talked about in this next section here. And this is where we see in verses 9 and 10 that God's love is revealed through Jesus Christ. And really, this is the heart of the gospel. God showed his love to us by sending his son. The reality is, how do you know what God's love is like? The first thing you know about what God's love is like is you look and see what God did, and he was willing to send his son to die for each one of us. Think about what that means. Think about what you would be willing to sacrifice. Um, you know, what's most valuable to you? You know, again, going back to the Australian fires, I think about if I was in that situation and um, my house was going to be destroyed, what are the valuable things that I would want to rescue from that house before it was destroyed? What would I think was most valuable? Um, and the reality is, if you listen to what people are saying, all the way through, the thing that is most valuable to them is they're saying, my family's safe, we were able to, um, we didn't get any possessions, but everyone is safe. And then conversely, the tragedy and the despair that they do experience if a family member is lost. But the reality is, we value people, we value life over and above anything else at all. And that's what's most important. But then you think about Christ. And Christ was willing to send his most valuable possession, his son. Why? Because he loved each one of us in this room. That's how much he loved us. God's love is shown. Says it here. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. And to me, that's one of the most profoundest things is that it's not as though from a God perspective that there's anything that we have in and of ourselves that would necessarily earn anything in God's favour. But he chose to love us regardless. He chose to put his love upon us simply because by his very nature, he is God. He is love. Paul writes, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For me, a passage to most of us in Romans 5.8. And probably the most often quoted verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world, what did he do? That he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What is the motive behind what Jesus went through? It is the love of God. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the reality is that God has unconditionally and unfailingly shown love to each one of us. And this is ultimately demonstrated in his willingness to die for sinful humanity. Love is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. One of the things that this passage talks about there, it talks about this whole idea of this idea of this atoning sacrifice. It talks about it there in, in that, that final uh, section there, the, the atoning sacrifice. And this passage talks about this idea, and depending on what version of the Bible you might have, it might have as the NIV, atoning sacrifice. 
Some of it might say a propitiation. Some of it might say a mercy seat. But there's that idea there about that atoning sacrifice. And what this idea is here is that a propitiation is about the relationship, specifically about the relationship with the gods. You see, in pagan worship, the gods were impulsive and often vindictive. And the reality is that the heathen had to do something like make an offering to restore their relationship with God. And so what this particular word was, came from was particularly from the old pagan worship where the pagan followers of their gods would do all these things to try and appease their gods and to try and approve their relationship with God. For they thought that because their God was unpredictable, he was liable to be angry and there was liable to be disasters and problems that would take place. The only way that they could guarantee that God was going to be on their side and not punish them as worshippers was to do something. And the remedy was to offer a sacrifice without delay. And hopefully, if they made the right offering, they made the right sacrifice, then all of, a, all of a sudden that their unpredictable and evil God would be appeased and that he would no longer punish them anymore. And that's where this whole idea of propitiation comes from. The reality, as you'll be pleased to know, is that in a Christian context, it's not used like that. We don't need to do anything to be able to make us right with God. But the relationship with God is important, and the relationship with God has been broken. And this is something that does need to be restored. But it's us that's acted unpredictably and irrationally. We're the ones that turn their back upon God, and the relationship does need to be restored. But the thing that we see here is the fact that the meaning of the relationship is done not through the sacrifices that we offer, but through the sacrifice that the Father offers. And that through Jesus Christ, that relationship is able to be restored. And that we don't have to worry about an unpredictable or an irrational God. We do need to see the fact that he has initiated this offering and that he's done it not because he's mad with us, but because God is love and because he loves us. And this is exactly what this passage is talking about. God is love. Because God is love, he wants to be in a relationship with us, and therefore he sent his son so that he could bring us back into a relationship with himself. Lots of passages to talk about that in Scripture. Um, just one I want to highlight to you is from uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So see the whole point that is going on there is that what needed to be done was what God did through Jesus Christ. That relationship that had been wrecked by sin between us and God is now fully restored through Jesus Christ. It's about the restoration of the relationship. God is a God of love. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ, 
his only son to die upon the cross. That death on the cross restored the relationship between us and God. And as Christians, we now live in a relationship with God, not because of what I do or what you do, but simply because of what Jesus did and he restored that relationship. You know, shortly we will spend some time when we'll celebrate communion together, the Lord's Supper. And as a church, we do this every week. Why do we do this? We do this to help remember exactly what we're talking about, that Jesus Christ died upon a cross because he loves us so much, he wanted to bring us back into relationship with him. And we do communion together that we can remember and celebrate that. So God is love. God's love is revealed in Jesus Christ being sacrificed for us. And thirdly, and this is where our response comes in, because God loves us, we are also to love others as well. The reality is, is that this isn't just a one-way thing. Because God loves us, and he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, our response is now to turn and to love others. And that is what is involved here. This is really the outworking of the gospel. God is love, God has shown his love, therefore our desire should be to love others in the same way. So for John, the, the call to obedience, to love one another, doesn't come as a threat. It comes out of the inspiration of what God has done for us. God's inspiring love, his generous affection, compels us to obey. If he has done this much for us, then our natural response is to love in return. Christians are to love out of love, the love that has been shown to them, and the love that has been experienced in salvation. The reality is we love because God first loved us. John points out that the reverse is also the case. He says in, uh, earlier on in verse 8, whoever does not love in the setting of, the, of this church here that John wrote to cannot possibly know God. Basically, John said that if you're not loving, do you really know God? That, that was how close he saw the relationship between the two. Since God is love, those who encounter God must also be loving people as well. And that was just the way that it was assumed in this particular time. God loves me, therefore my natural response is that I will love others. So as Christ followers, we are to love in the same way that God loves us. The Pharisees once questioned Jesus and said, what was the greatest commandment? Most of you probably know this. The greatest commandment was to, uh, to love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But what was the second commandment? Love your neighbour as yourself. So you see we have these things that are going on there. Because of the love that God has shown towards us, our response, therefore, is to love our neighbour in the same way that God has loved us. And that's what's talk, been talked about here. And this is what the um, Apostle John is trying to emphasise to these believers here, is that genuine faith is going to show out in the way that we live our lives. Christians are to love in the same way that we have been loved. A Christian's love for others is demonstrated in what they do. Godly love is not just a feeling or an emotion. Godly love 
is seen in our actions. It's seen in the way that Christians act towards other people, whether they be believers or unbelievers. The outcome of godly love is action. It is love for others. So one of the most tangible ways that people can see that we are a follower of Christ is the way that we show love to other people. The way that we care and the way that we show compassion. Loving other people is a characteristic of believers. The character of a loving God is ultimately seen in his love for us. The love of God sent Jesus to die upon the cross. God's love is seen in redeeming his people and drawing them back to himself. But because God loves us, we are now to love other people. Love should be a tangible expression of the way that we have been loved. And as Christians, there's a whole lot of ways that we can show that love to other people. There's a myriad of ways that we could go about doing that. Christian love is an important characteristic of who we are as followers of Christ. Don't have time to go through all of them, but I just thought I'd put up a, a few of the, the one another passages that are in Scripture. So um, there's a whole list here, which are some practical ways that we can show love to other people. Accept one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Speak truth to one another. Submit to one another. Show compassion to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Be hospitable to one another. And serve one another. You see all of these here, just 10 examples of ways that love can be seen in action. But remember, God is love. God has loved us through Jesus Christ. And therefore, our response is to love others in return. And that's what is being talked about in this particular passage. There's lots more that could be said about this, but just as we wrap up, I just want to highlight a few implications of the love of God. <clears throat> Firstly, I think one of the implications of the love of God is that we can trust in God's love. God has proven his loving nature to humanity throughout all the ages. He's maintained a relationship with his people since creation. Even in sinfulness, God continued to maintain patience with us. You think about when Adam and Eve sinned, what did he do? He didn't cast them out without any hope, but he was able to create clothing for them and provide opportunities for future. Throughout the Israelite rebellions, and there were many of those, what did God do? He continued to provide opportunities of them to come back into relationship with God. Think about the story of Jonah and the way he tried to flee from God. What did God do? He provided the big fish so that Jonah had to come back and do what God wanted. The reality is that God is always faithful. He's always loving towards us and he always provides the opportunity for us to live in a way that he wants us to live. So we can trust as we look back over the history of the Bible in God's love. Secondly, our salvation is an expression of God's love. The greatest demonstration of God's love was in the gift of his son. We've already talked about John 3.16. I know it's a, it's a Sunday school verse. It's one that those of you that have been a Christian for a long time will have memorized and talked about. But it's so simple in many ways. 
and so profound in so many other ways. The reality is God loves us and because he loves us, he has provided salvation for us. God did not just send his son as a reward to the obedient, but rather as a ransom for the defiant. We see Jesus display his love throughout his life and his ministry. He healed the sick without requirement of gratitude. He displayed humility even though he was the king of kings. Even while on the cross, he continued to pray for those around him and ask for, their, ask for forgiveness for them. Salvation is open to all. God's love does not discriminate. Salvation is available to all. Thirdly, our ability to love is enabled through God. <coughs> Jesus set us the example to love and gives us the commandment to follow. Time and time again, Jesus gave examples of the way that he was able to love and he showed us how to do that. Think about the example of him washing the, the feet of the disciples. Um, he instructed his followers to love the neighbours. When we rest and abide in God, love pours out to others. It's through our love that the world will know that we belong to Christ. So our love, our ability to love is enabled through God's love. Because God has loved us, we can also love others. Fourthly, we can rest in God's love. Because God's love, or because God's nature is love, his love is unconditional. He chose a path to save us from our sins. So we now have God not as the chief punisher but rather as our Heavenly Father. We are in a relationship with him and that we can come and we can have comfort in knowing that he is there with us and we can rest in him. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all who, who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we see that Jesus is our advocate. We can rest in the assurance of his love. And thirdly, we can have confidence in God's love. There's lots of examples of this. Um, I just want to read a few verses from Psalm 136, which talks about the nature of God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. If we were to read that entire psalm, you would get the idea that his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, 26 times it talks about the fact that this is what God is like. His steadfast love endures forever. We can be assured that God is loving to us. He's faithful to us and that at all times we can have confidence in the love of God. <clears throat> this is what John was talking about when he wrote this particular passage, was the fact that God is love. God's love sent Jesus Christ to die upon the cross, and therefore because of what God has loved us, we are now to love others. And this morning we now come to, to the opportunity that we can take communion together. And this is a way that we can tangibly remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can remember the fact that he died upon the cross. And as we take the bread, as we take the cup, it is a way that we remember the fact that he died upon the cross.
and that our sins are now no longer. And what was the motive for doing this? God is love, and he loves you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love that you have. We thank you that you are a God of love, and that that love was ultimately seen in sending Jesus Christ to this earth. Father, we pray that as we take communion together now, that we would once again be reminded of the great love that you have for each one of us and the fact that that great love meant that you were willing to sacrifice your son for each one of us. Father, we pray that as we take communion this morning, that we would once again be reminded of all that you have done for us. But Father, also help us to think about what are the ways that we could show that same love to other people, Lord. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.